0: Welcome to this week's episode of Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. This week's guest is the director of marketing for the AA minor league baseball team, the Somerset Patriots, Hal Hansen. If you've ever played a trivia game between innings, watched a bunch of sausages run around the bases, or caught a t-shirt launched by an air cannon at a Somerset Patriots game, Hal is the guy to thank. I'm a huge baseball fan, and as you'll hear, Hal and I had a great time today talking about fish and baseball. For today's episode, Hal chose a huge show from the Summer 2000 tour, June 28, 2000, at the Garden State Arts Center, otherwise known as Holmdale. Although I know very little about this tour, Hal did a great job explaining some of the high points of the Summer of 2000. He also explained how this show represented not only a great time in his life, but a crossroads between college and his professional career, although there was some crossover between the two. So let's join Hal to hear about the TurboGin, the similarities between a no-hitter and a set of fish, and a leaked version of Backwards Down the Number Line for June 28, 2000 at Holmdale.
1: Let's meet today's guest.
0: Hal Hanson, thanks for being on Attendance Bias. How are you?
1: I'm great. I'm great. Thank you, Brian. It's, uh, it's a pleasure.
0: Pleasure is all on my ends, because I can't wait to talk about today's show, with which I was previously unfamiliar. I'd heard everything about it, especially about the summer of 2000, but apparently this was part of a four-show run that people speak about in reverent tones. People speak yeah. about these shows with PNC and Camden. Just that it's the highlight of the summer. And when I heard today's show, I understood why. So I'm
1: really glad that you picked it. Yeah, yeah. And, and Hartford in between those. Uh, uh, I, I actually did all six of them in a row and and the two Hartford were were great as well. So it was a it was a fantastic run.
0: That's great, and I can't wait to hear more about it when we get to our context section. But before we get to there, let's hear a little bit about you. So Hal Hansen, you currently work for the New York Yankees AA affiliate, the Somerset Patriots, as the Director of Marketing. So what exactly does that mean, as the Director of Marketing?
1: Well, uh, a lot of things, uh, actually. Primary roles are uh, obviously... Marketing the club to the community and promoting our our games and uh, you know all the ticket uh, options that we have to people, making sure that it gets out there. You know whether it's uh, you know digital marketing or billboards or radio or just promoting the team as much as we possibly can to uh, ultimately sell tickets to games. And then uh, my in-game responsibilities include all the entertainment. Uh, that happens pregame, whether it's a, a check ceremony or ceremonial first pitches or uh, all the between innings, uh, silly stuff. I'm I'm running the show, essentially, um, which is that kind silly
0: of stuff makes a game. I remember a couple yeah. of years ago I went to I don't know if they're double AA A, triple A, but I think it was the Eastern Michigan Whitecaps.
1: was okay, the yeah, team, yeah.
0: And. I was in the middle of a baseball road trip with my girlfriend and we just happened to have an off night. I think it's in grand Rapids is where the stadium is. And okay. the whole game, it was one of the most well-produced games professional or triple a or double a that I'd ever seen. It yeah. went so fast. And I got to tell you if the name of the game is to get kids involved, that that's franchise knocked it right out of the park. Yeah, yeah. Every innings there were kids on the field running and playing guessing games and everyone was so entertained. So yeah, you have an yeah, important that,
1: job. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's the nature of uh, our business. Uh, I mean, we are uh, in the entertainment business. The The fact that there's a baseball game happening is almost a side note in some cases. Uh, I mean, we're there to entertain. Um, and you know, I, I've often heard people walking out of our games and they don't even know if we won or not because <laughs> they were so, you know, or sometimes I don't even know if we won. And that's that means we did our job. We entertain them to such an extent that they have no clue if the team won or not. I mean, that I, I love it. That's that's a job well done.
0: And you talked to me when we were emailing back and forth leading up to this that when you were first getting into baseball, starting your professional career, that your interest in baseball and your interest in fish kind of intersected at some point?
1: My career started in baseball in 2000. And uh, 1999 was, I graduated college, I uh, did the entire summer tour that year, uh, except for the first two shows um, in Tennessee, and I forget where the other one was. But uh, so I did 18 straight shows, went to a bunch of shows in the fall, went to Big Cypress and then started a job in baseball the following January, like a week after Big Cypress. And, and the guy that that hired me for the job, he, he actually turned out to be a, a fish fan from like back in the 80s, saw them in New Hampshire. And when he he asked me, you know, when when, when can you start? Can you start on like January 2nd or something? I said, well, <laughs> take it like January 7th or 8th, maybe. And he's like, why? Tell me you're going to see fish at Big Cypress. It's like, oh, my God, how did you know that? So uh, my my baseball career got off to an interesting start. He, he you know met a fish fan pretty much right off the bat.
0: I'll tell you, I still have these conversations with my boss and she couldn't even name a fish song if you, you know, if you had a, held a gun to her head, but she still <laughs> knows when I request days off yeah, to say, yeah. where are they playing this time?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, Nobody in my current office, uh, I mean, they they know that I'm the fish guy, but they have no uh, concept of, you know, to what level of a fan I am or or know any songs or anything like that
0: and i'm glad you came on today and not just you personally of course but someone in your position because as i just mentioned i'm a huge huge baseball fan and i often compare fish or going to fish shows especially several in a row when you go on a long like multi-night run and i i don't have to but when people ask me to explain it you know they'll say how can you see the same band so many times Baseball is the closest analogy that I could think of yeah. when it comes to explaining my interest in seeing fish. Even though the band themselves, they don't ever seem particularly interested in baseball. Although I know Paige, when he walks around, whenever he's off stage, he often wears a Mets hat.
1: Yeah,
0: And I have a secret theory about that. I'll Maybe I'll get to it. But okay. I often use baseball analogies <laughs> about explaining why I spend so much money and travel so far to see so many shows per year. And I always compare, you know, would you would you really question someone if they got season tickets to a Yankees season, right? You know, or any game, any team? Would you yeah. would you think that's weird? You know, the format is always the same. There's two sets. Sure. There's nine innings. Uh, it's the same four guys, and hopefully, it's the same baseball roster. You know, barring sure. injuries and such, uh, you go on road trips to new v- venues or to go to away games. You know, it's not that strange for Mets fans to travel down to Philly or yeah, vice versa. You know, yeah. there's tailgating at both, especially in um especially in Milwaukee. If you ever get a chance to go there, they I, are I've the best baseball tailgaters
1: anywhere. I, I've been there. I I went there a couple summers ago and I honestly thought if it, it felt like I was at a Packers game. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe I've never seen tailgating for a baseball game like that before. It was incredible.
0: But back to the analogy, also with fish yeah. and baseball, there's endless st- uh, statistics to analyze. Yeah. But at the same time, no matter how much you analyze and predict, you can't really ever get it right.
1: No, no, of course not.
0: And my final one, because I've been—you th- could tell—I've been thinking about this for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both baseball and fish, on a certain level, they require a lot of close attention and patience. V- very to much. really enjoy to the fullest capability sure so I ask you as a person who is not only in the baseball business but obviously a big fan have you ever drawn those kinds of parallels either the ones that I mentioned or others
1: oh uh-huh. oh all the time I yeah think you it, had to yeah yeah from from the time I started seeing fish and especially after getting in uh, into the baseball industry Uh, it's so, it's such a perfect comparison. You know, you have games that are maybe there's, you know, a lot of offense early on in the game. And yeah, maybe Fish, uh, has an incredible first set that somehow, you know, shadows the second set. Um, or maybe it's a really intense pitcher's duel where everybody is playing so well and, and compare that to a, a fish show that is a, you know, a four or five song set that just seems like it was perfectly composed for that entire, you know, hour and 10 minute set that it was. And, um, you know, you never know what you're going to see at a game or a fish show and the statistics, obviously that you, that you mentioned, I mean, nerding out on baseball stats is to me, just as fun as nerding out on fish stats. I could do either one for hours.
0: (laughs) And there are emotions that come in in both. I remember at, um, in San Francisco at the Bill Graham in 2016, on, they played three nights. And on the third night, they opened the first set with a whole bunch of rarities. What I would call with a capital S, a special set. Sure. They opened with demand, which I had oh, never okay. seen before. Yeah. I couldn't believe they were playing it. And they went through, I think I'm gonna butcher this a little, but alumni blues and a lot of different songs that you don't usually hear. And by like the fourth song, I was thinking this is must what it must feel like to witness a no-hitter. Every right. next song that they start, are they gonna yeah. play something typical that I've heard a billion times or are they gonna play another rarity? Yeah. And I could feel my fingernails gripping into my palms in between oh, during the yeah. silence in between the songs. And it's like watching Jacob deGrom yeah. you know, throw a no-hitter.
1: Sure. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a perfect comparison.
0: And so, your team is based in New Jersey. Did you also grow up in New Jersey? Is that where you're from?
1: I did. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Union County, which is only about a half hour away from uh, the ballpark. It's only about a forty to forty five minute train ride in uh, to New York City. It's you know an hour and change to Philadelphia. So, I, I mean, for for somebody who saw fish in the mid 90s and and got into live music in a big way uh i mean this this the location i'm in is just tremendous just you know so many different options that are within reason to get to uh yeah it's it's a it's a great spot
0: and when was your first fish show where was it also
1: uh first show was seven ninety four at the uh then garden state art center um, in Holmdel, which has been the site of uh, obviously the show we're talking about today, mm-hmm. but um, I, you know I've seen the, you know probably seven or eight shows there now, in addition to many many others.
0: I love the Garden State Art Center. I still call it that because the yeah, first time I, I too, was yeah the first time I was there I think it was 1996. I saw the Who on their Quadrophenia tour when they made a big okay. comeback to tour with Quadrophenia, and I was I think in eighth grade or ninth grade maybe. My dad drove me and my friend, and I remember thinking, this is so close. I grew up on Long Island, so okay. it's about, with no traffic, you know, and the gods are smiling, it's about an hour flat, maybe an hour plus, 10 minutes or so. It's not that far. You know, it could take a lot longer to get to Yankee Stadium from yeah. where I grew up. I We were on the lawn, and I insisted getting really up close and up, up to the front of the lawn, and I think it's a really nice if a little generic summer yeah. shed.
1: I wouldn't say there's anything really too unique about it. The 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 convenience factor was what drew, you know, drew me and and a whole bunch of friends in. I mean, it's right off the parkway. Yeah. And and you know, it's a 25-minute ride from where I grew up. I mean, it could not have been easier. It it was it just it just was so convenient. There are other sheds that I've been to that are have better sound or they're more, you know, beautiful aesthetically or have better options for concessions, whatever whatever you want to say. Um, but the art center was just, it was just a factor of convenience for you know growing up.
0: And that show that you mentioned, July second, ninety-four, was yeah. th- that was them headlining,
1: or were they part of yeah. like a horde tour sort of thing? That that I believe. I believe that was their first headlining show there. They had played there before, um, but it was part of Horde. I'm I'm 99% certain that was uh, July 2nd, 94, was their first headlining show.
0: Yeah, because I think they also played Jones Beach that July, maybe just a couple days before or after. And that must have been one of their first headlining shows or headlining tours of those kind of outdoor amphitheaters. Yeah, yeah,
1: it must have been.
0: What do you remember from that show?
1: Man, it was uh, a long time ago. Granted, it was it was a long time ago. I remember I remember from the just from the second of pulling into the parking lot of just kind of a reaction of, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. This <laughs> is I still feel that way. <laughs> yeah, this is very different than anything I have seen before. Uh, how old were you at the time? Uh, so this was uh, summer of my junior year of high school. Um, so I guess I was 17 at that point probably Um, and it it, it, I mean it was an onslaught of the senses and every sense of the 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 phrase I mean think you know the sights and the colors and the smells and the people and the tailgating and the you know drums and uh, (laughs) devil sticks those things that were popular way back in the day like I mean, it was just, everything about it was, it was a circus. That's, you know, and the two, the two friends that I went with, it was their first time seeing fish as well. So the three of us were just kind of walking around, just, you know, barely able to blink because we didn't want to miss any of the, you know, stuff around us.
0: And Uh, any music or any song performances that stuck with you from that show? Or is it just a big blur?
1: I'm going to botch this, but they played Rift. I had literally just bought the rift cd from a friend for a dollar uh because he was selling a whole bunch of cds and i knew i was going to see them i was like oh let me go let me get that i got to listen to this band before i go and i took very quickly to the song rift and then sure enough they played it that night and i thought oh this this is great this is you know the band's playing one of my favorite songs by them already i remember yeah, you know, they played "Highway to Hell," and uh, that was one of the only songs that I knew, other than "Rift" and maybe one or two others. The whole thing—it was a blur, and it was feeling like I was in a state of shock the whole time.
0: And uh, if you only knew "Rift" or a couple songs heading in, how did you get into Fish? What led you to that concert?
1: Uh, so, it, it 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 all goes back to a conversation that I had with a friend in a, in the in our cafeteria during lunch one day. The Garden State Arts Center had released their schedule. And, at, you know, in 1994, they're printing it in the newspaper, in the show. Sure. And, uh, you know, so she cut out the schedule and brought it to the cafeteria. And we're sitting around deciding what shows are we going to go to that summer? And uh, we, we had picked James Taylor. That was one of them. And then we got to July 2nd, you know, going down the calendar and she's like, oh, this band Fish, I've heard they're really fun. Do you want to go see them? And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? I'm up for I'm up for a good time. And that's literally how it happened. Like it was just totally random. Okay, yeah, I'll go see them. And, uh, you know, buying the CD for my friend later on uh, and, and then the show. And it was I mean, that was it. It was it was over at that point. When was this show
0: played? So this was in the summer of 2000, and I've mentioned several times on this podcast that I'm pretty delinquent in my knowledge of summer 99. Although now, after having however many episodes and so many guests picking shows from that era, I've become a lot better with 99. Summer 2000 is still kind of elusive for me. So. I'm going to ask you to take over and tell me a little bit about what you remember about that era, because mostly what I picture when it comes to 2000 is a lot of swirly synthesizer sort of Trey playing with his pedals, a lot of farmhouse songs and
1: not much in between. I think that's fairly accurate. I remember of there being a lot of, a lot of high energy um, in those shows, particularly the six that I went to in that stretch, because like you said, there was farmhouse. So now we have first tube entering the mix and Jabu and sand and, you know, all these, um, rhythmically upbeat songs that are adding this jolt of energy and get back on the
0: train also.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, I remember just, I don't know. I I guess I kind of remember feeling like I maybe, this is going to sound weird, but like dancing a lot more than I ever had at shows because of the songs that were, that were, you know, mixed in. And um, there were definitely, uh, you know, Trey had, had those toys he was playing with in 99 and a little into 2000 where things got spacey and uh, you know, a little strange, but I, I overall, I just remember, the the you know at at the art center at Hartford and Camden, um, just a lot of of energy. Um, I don't
0: you know. think it's a surprise when you say that you are dancing more. I I don't think that's unusual when, as you mentioned, when you consider the song selection. I mean, they would play Sand. It seems like every third show, and when you think about right. that line, you know the Tony Markellis effect, basically. Sure. Of- sure not quite a rave, but a single bass riff being played for like 22 minutes straight, you know, without a break, it gets to you, it gets in your soul. And by this time, Mike was turned
1: all the way up? No, I, I, yeah, and 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 spe- especially with this show and the uh, Bats of Gin that we'll get to and the next night, the Drown Rock and Roll, um, the Great Sand that was on July 3rd. I mean, there's... Yeah there's there's a lot of upbeat, you know, dance party stuff that, that entered the repertoire.
0: And so you told us about how you oh no that was about your first show. How did you decide to get to this show? Where were you in the
1: summer of 2000 that led you here? So summer of 2000 is this is the as I call it this is the 2.0 of my fish career beginning with summer 2000 and the the way I'm framing that is 1.0 was before I got a full time job, uh, <laughs> in the baseball industry, and 2.0 is after I got a job in the baseball industry. So, my starting with summer 2000, my summer tour plans were all based around my baseball schedule. Um, I have to work every game uh, unless there's a you know funeral or a wedding or something something of of that magnitude. It, it's it's it, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, uh, and I just got to roll with it. I, you know, I'm I'm nearly 20 years into this career now, so I've learned to accept it.
0: I feel the same way as a teacher. I just yeah. kind of made peace with the idea that I'll almost certainly never go to Dicks because the school year begins some years literally the day after Labor Day, sure. And the beginning of the school year is extremely stressful, and I know that one day of travel in between a three night fish run. And having 30 12-year-olds, you know, in a seat who don't want to be there, that's just a recipe for a disaster. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I've just made peace with it. Yeah, yeah. So have I. I mean, it's, uh, it, it was rough in the beginning. You know, it's funny. In, in 2000, <clears throat> I was able to do those six shows in a row from from uh, Homedale through Camden. So I at that point I'm like, wow, this is this is great. I mean, maybe this is you know it's gonna work out like this every year. Yeah. <laughs> it it's just it hasn't even come close to to that. So I I find myself uh taking advantage of opportunities a lot more or maybe being a little more aggressive in my travel. If there's a you know, if I get you know screwed on the local shows, I'll I'll go fly somewhere in the summer and and just go pick a random weekend to check them out. So. So how did you get tickets for this show? We went to the art center at about maybe four or five in the morning. The day of the show or the day of the on sales? Day of the on sale. I don't. Recall if there were online sales, uh, there had to be at that. Point. There had to be. I, yeah. I mean,
0: I remember. I don't know about like Ticketmaster.com. That still may have been a little bit farther away. I don't know if e-commerce was quite there yet. I do remember though when you mentioned when uh, the Garden State art Center would release their summer lineup, right? Yeah. At my home venue was Jones Beach, the equivalent venue right. of Jones Beach, right. and you had to go to the local drugstore. You had to go to Pathmark was yeah. the name of it. Yeah. Get a bracelet. Sure. And then they would pull a random number, and whatever number your bracelet was in relation to the random one, you got yeah. in the line. And then yep. you got when the tickets went on sale, that was your shot. So that's how yeah. I got tickets for like Dave Matthews Band at Jones sure. Beach or Jethro Tull or yeah. you know what have you. So I don't think that they were quite available online unless you were at a Ticketmaster outlet, as the phrase
1: sure. was. So you get to the Art Center at five in the morning. Okay. So we get the Art Center, and then there's there's probably eight of us that are doing this, uh, my group of friends in high school. And, and we're, you know, we're figuring we're getting there at five in the morning. There's no way nobody is getting there that early, especially to buy fish tickets. I mean, we're going to get like golden, golden seats. And we're we're at the venue in the art center and we roll up and there's like. Had to be five or six obvious scalpers from. I don't know if they're from New York City somewhere, but they're all dressed in in black and and they were just it, like completely did not belong there. And we asked them like, "Oh, what what are you what are you here for? What are you buying?" You know, like, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna get fish tickets and then something else." It's like, "Oh man, <laughs> we got up at five in the morning and we're not even the first people in line here." Hey man, who's the ones that shouldn't be there? Maybe it's yeah. you it worked out in the end though. We were, um, we wound up getting incredible seats. We were dead center probably within the first 20, 20 rows for both nights. So, I mean, it it was fine. It just was a strange, you know, we, we totally didn't expect that to happen. You know, we turned it into a party. I mean, we were, we were upset, but we, um, it may have been a night where we never went to bed. I, I don't recall exactly what the scenario was, but, um, yeah you know, my friend was riding around the parking lot on his skateboard, and uh we we made the best of it, even though we weren't we were a little disappointed that we weren't like right there to jump on the windows.
0: Well, before we get into the show itself, let's wrap up this segment by hearing you tell why do you have attendance bias toward this show
1: uh I have an attendance bias towards the show because. specifically I mean it's a it's a hometown show it's you know life was good for me at that time I mean I graduated college just about to start a full-time job um, you know feeling on top of the world and had just come from big Cypress in December and did the whole summer tour the the summer before so things were things were good at that time for, for me and then The show itself, uh, that two night run uh, specifically of Homedale, just blew me away. I I I love these shows for, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons. And they've just always been uh, dear to me for that. Set one.
0: All right. So to judge right into the show, first set, we kick off with Chalk Dust Torture, which is a classic 1.0 opener. Yep. There is a good gem that picks up. Pretty quick, train and Page are leading it, and to me, this is what 1.0 sounds like. That I had that conscious thought while listening right. back to it. It's extremely fast, and for a band that I thought, well, that I know was going to take a break in, what is it in a little a little less than six months? In about four months, it doesn't sound tired.
1: It's high energy right off the bat. Um, you know, it, it's it's the classic chalk dust rock and roll show opener that you kind of want, you know, so, you know, yeah, you want a a strange, unique opener every once in a while, but man, when that, when that show opens with a a high energy chalk dust, uh, it's, it's tough to beat that.
0: And you told me before that this is your first show since Cyprus, right? So what was,
1: what were you feeling like when they came on and busted this out? Uh, I, I was—I mean—I was ready, ready to go. Uh, I mean, just walking into that venue, great seats, a whole bunch of friends. You know, on the tail, on the uh, tailwinds of Cyprus. Uh, I mean, it, I was the 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 playing of Chakta as the opener exactly fit the mood that we were all in. Like we were all just ready to go. Like, yeah, you know, it's it's time for fish again. It's been six months. You know, let's go. Let's. It's time to go and. Chalked us. That was, it did it. Perfect. Perfect opener.
0: They follow up with the sloth, which is to go back to our baseball analogy. It was a great number two hitter.
1: Yep. yep. You know,
0: to follow up, you know, uh, chalked us gets on base. Sloth moves it up one. Yep. So a perfect energy boost. And then I thought it was such a treat that in the three hole they play taste yeah, and in a weird way, I can't say that I forgot about Taste, but it's kind of a song that's certainly been pushed kind of to the recesses of the catalog. They don't
1: play yeah. it that often anymore. Yeah, it's um, it has become a treat now uh, for sure. I mean, they yeah they don't they really don't play it much anymore, and I and I get it. I mean, you you know, you keep adding new songs to the repertoire, and and it has to come at the expense of of some songs, Um, you know, they can't just keep playing everything with the same frequency, but um, you know, they play, I I think they probably played it a lot in the 99, 2000 era. I could be wrong on that, but it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a great song that I wish I I heard more. Um, I always come back to the um, Baker's dozen taste. I I love that version. It's so interesting and and it's kind of you know you hear that and you're like man why don't you guys play this more
0: (laughs) (laughs) and this version notably is on the jam charts according to fish.net and the phrase that it says on the jam charts is that fishman intensifies the song that he's kind of the one leading it but to my ears through the whole thing i thought it was really led by page the whole time
1: an interesting comment to see because uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, it, it, it's you definitely hear a lot of page. I mean, maybe it's the mix of that recording, um, but I, I agree with you on, the, on that.
0: There's no problem hearing everybody on the next track, which Correct. is when you hear about this show, June 28th, 2000. If you know nothing else about it, you've almost certainly heard about Bathtub Gin from this show. So looking at the set list, you know, in, in the spirit of being a completionist and knowing since we're reviewing the entire show, of course I listen, but I'd be lying if I didn't keep glancing over and seeing how much time is left in taste. I want to get to this bathtub gin. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, wait, no, let me ask you before we talk about this. Have you, had you heard this version before? Not that I remember. Oh, wow. Unless wow. I heard
0: it on like fish radio or something. Sure. Um, I've never made a concerted effort to listen to a lot of 2000. I remember at the time, it was really hard for me to find tapes of 2000. Yeah. For whatever reason, 99 and 2000 just kind of escaped me. It might have been that this was the time that a lot of recordings were making the jump from analog to digital. Uh-huh. And so a lot of the, my sources, people who got, who got me fish tapes or traded tapes with me, I just there was like a drought. Of more yeah. recent fish recordings. So I was still easily getting shows from 93 and 95, no problem. But right. when it came to stuff from Alpine Valley in 2000 or this show, uh, it just, it was nowhere to be found. And after right. a while, I stopped looking. And then before you knew it, live fish existed. Sure. sure. And so Soundboard was available for everywhere. So who cared about 2000 now?
1: Yeah, right, right.
0: And so this gin is. I think, considered widely the highlight of the show.
1: Oh, no doubt.
0: But I thought that this jam is beyond excellent. It's one of the best that, that I've heard from this song, and that saying a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: There's a part at about five minutes where it starts getting a little spacey and maybe even a little dissonant uh, with Trey is playing the main theme as it normally does. And I wrote that uh, it, this jam begins where a lot of 1999 and 98 bathtub gins end.
1: Right, right. Yep.
0: There's a straight ahead vamp. Uh, we've heard this a million times. It means that they're kind of percolating. And then at nine minutes, something happened that Trey just decided to play rhythm guitar. And that's really when the thing, when the whole song starts to blast off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Something happens at about five minutes and 30 seconds where I don't know if it's Mike that does it first or if if Fish does it uh, where he just picks up the, the, the beat into like double time, and all of a sudden it goes from you know the standard bathtub gin jam to basically twice as fast. That that's the beginning of the of the turbo gin in my in my uh, in my mind.
0: That's well said. I like the fr- I love the phrase turbo gin. Yeah, yeah. Just start getting stickers and T shirts for it. Yeah. The, exactly. uh, the The switch to Trey playing rhythm guitar at nine minutes. When I was listening for my first listen through. Immediately, it clicked for me that when they played Exile on Main Street in 2009, all of a sudden it made sense to me because Trey is not the most frequent rhythm guitar player. No, no. Right? He almost always plays melodies. Right. But when he just switched to rhythm here it put a lot of that in context because Exile on Main Street, of course there are great guitar solos on it, but that's really a good rock and roll rhythm guitar album. And so I was able to make that connection nine years apart.
1: I think it's a sign that uh, he he feels that they're locked into something. If he's going to switch over to rhythm and, and just go with the groove, uh, I think that's uh, a sign that, you know, something special is about to happen.
0: Yeah, and that's something special is Paige. He takes yeah. over you know, around like 11 minutes, I think it is. And I wish that the audience recordings were more pristine because you could hear that pages is like rocking the hell out of it, but you can't really hear exactly what
1: he's playing. Right, right. I've been saying for years that this two-show run needs a live fish treatment because we really got to hear all this in, in, in exquisite detail.
0: I'm sure you're not alone. I'm sure yeah. there are many who agree with you. Yeah. One of my last notes... I wrote uh, at thirteen thirty. This goes with your turbo gin. I wrote king gin. Yeah, yeah. You know, like instead of cotton is king in the South in the antebellum South, this is king
1: gin. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I distinctly remember when when this when this gin jam hits its peak uh, or one of its you know several peaks. I distinctly remember just jumping up and down in our seats at the Art Center. Like, more more than I've ever, like, I don't even know if I've ever jumped up and down at a fish show before this moment. And I didn't know what to do with myself. It was so, (laughs) just so completely in awe of that moment. And it felt like, yeah, you know what? I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to start jumping up and down and cheering.
0: Number of those freakouts, too. I have to ask, do you have any others that come to mind where you're just totally blown that there's so much kinetic energy in your body you don't know what to do with it?
1: Yeah, literally the next night during the drown. (laughs) (laughs) That's you gotta love it.
0: And so to calm down from bathtub gin, they play Piper and it's not even that calm. They start with the infamous or famous slow build Piper. Sure. And I had this thought, I wrote the slow build Piper. Uh, we haven't had too many of these on attendance bias and hearing it is as good as going into a time machine. And then I thought about it after listening to the show two or three more times. Is there something to the slow build or is it just something that older fans like us wish they still did for the sake of nostalgia?
1: I, I would love to hear. <laughs> I would honestly love to hear the, the Piper slow build for 10 minutes yeah Um, it just i just i don't know there's something about that progression of it gets a little faster and it gets a little you know they start playing a little louder um there's i don't know what it is it's something about it it's not you know it's not just play slow the slow intro for the sake of doing it there's it definitely makes the song more exciting the more they draw it out in my opinion i wonder if it's
0: the space in a slow build where we were just talking about how Paige gets lost in a mix sometimes, maybe not in these days, maybe not now in 2021, because their sound is so dialed in, but maybe it's that, maybe that you could hear each instrument so distinctly when they're playing slow and spacey as compared to a little bit later in this Piper that it's mostly washy cymbals, some dissonance. Mike sounds like he's holding on for dear life when this really hits his peak. And Fishman plays very fast. And again, Paige gets lost in the mix.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pipers for me, they, some you know, they, sometimes they get a little too messy too quickly. Yeah. And they'll, they eventually will get to a point where you said, you, you say to yourself, man, this is a, this is a damn good groove. They got going here or, you know, a really nice, like catchy, you know, uh, jam out of it. But you know, that that messy, that rush out of the intro into messy Piper, that's, it doesn't, it, you know, I feel like the same thing happens with light sometimes. They've rushed the, the uh, jam all the way into chaos right away, and then eventually they find their way out of it. Yeah, it's not not among my favorite uh, segments of of what they do.
0: And then by the end of the Piper, we're already at the end of the set. It's yeah. just under an hour, and they close it with what I thought was a very curious choice with If I Could.
1: I loved this in the moment. Uh, I I do very distinctly remember this and it's partially because if I could, was one of my favorite songs um, at the time. And I heard it at one of my first shows, um, June 28th Jones beach uh, 95. And I hadn't heard it since it had been something like 60 or 60, 65 shows since I've heard it. And, um you know when you're getting to the end of a first set and you're you're you, you kind of have an idea, okay, this is gonna end any any pretty much right you know any song now, and they start that and it almost knocked me over in my seat because I wasn't expecting it at all uh I was so happy to hear it um, and it was a you know it's a it's a great version i mean just beautiful guitar work by trey and and as yeah, it just. It floored me, you know, it hasn't happened very often where, you know, they almost knocked me over into my seat.
0: And you and I, we found out in preparing for this recording, had a shared moment. Yeah, I didn't know this, that uh, they closed this show, this first set of this show with If I Could, and then fast forward to 2009. I think it was June 2nd, 2009, and they closed set one with If I Could at Jones Beach, which At the time, I loved it. It was those three nights at Jones Beach were so rainy and overcast and pretty gross. Yeah, Yeah. But the rain stopped toward the end of the first set. And they were playing, if I could, with such practiced vocals, you could tell that they practiced it, that they tuned it in. And it was so beautiful. And then when they stopped playing, when they said that was the end of the first set, I felt like I was, I don't know, like, like something was cut short, even though the set in 2009 was an hour and a half. Right. You know, I thought that it was a strange note to end set one. Did you feel that way in 2000?
1: Uh, No, I was I was thrilled that they walked off stage after that. It just in the it's hard to describe. Um, You know, it probably sounds ridiculous to say that, you know, if I could is a great first set closer. But for me at that time, having not heard it in in, you know, five years and 60 something shows, and having them play it so well. I mean, the the Trey solo was just fantastic. For them to to walk off stage right after it, I, I was, I, I was pretty pumped. I, I think I remember like, <laughs> I remember like telling, turning around to everybody around me and being like, "Yeah, that was that's such, such a badass first set closer. I'm so <laughs> <confident that." laughs> like, you guys walk off stage, you earned it. That's awesome."
0: Set two. So the second set opens with "Down with Disease," which we mentioned before, and it's the first thing I noticed so fast
1: <laughs> ridiculously fast yeah. it's
0: a it's a good you know version of the song is very fast paced fishman is killing it on drums when in 1999 and 2000 when fit when they're playing really fast usually
1: it's the drummer's fault i don't think that's the case <laughs> in fish yeah it it, it, it is so fast it, it you know it made me laugh uh listening back to that to this show how fast they say uh, that's on my lawn? Yeah, like, <laughs> it, it, it was hilarious. It's hilarious, and the uh, the stop, stop, stop parts is so funny. How fast it is!
0: It gets into a good groove. There's some guitar fireworks. All said and done, though, I don't know how crazy this download disease is compared to the rest of the set. Although around eight minutes in, I imagine that this is among the best of 2000. That there's not you know it's less droney than other parts of 2000 tend to be especially later in the year right uh, toward the fall Yep. Uh, and then they after down with disease they go into harry hood which is an incredible one-two punch to open a second set that's like the heavies are coming out
1: oh yeah oh yeah especially you know nobody expects a harry hood this early in a set i mean it's 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 a first or second set closer, or maybe it's in the encore. But to hear it second song out of the set, I mean, it's it's great. Uh, and it it is my all time favorite song. So to be to hear it is is great. But to to be surprised by it uh, makes it even you know that much better.
0: I noticed toward the beginning, very soon after they get into the jam that there are a series of escalating cheers and having never heard it before, and obviously I was not there, I have to imagine that was what, a glow stick war? Cause that's the only thing that I can imagine with, cause there's almost nothing coming from the stage.
1: It's it's pretty uh, quiet at that point, and I I don't I didn't recall personally. Uh, so I I went back and looked at some reviews on uh, Fish Net, and and it seems like everybody was saying that Trey was throwing glow six back at the crowd, and that's what everybody was cheering about. And now you know, having read that, I I tend to uh, you know vaguely remember something like that happening.
0: My first thoughts on this jam was that it might be one of the most quiet and delicate hoods that I'd ever heard. Yeah. And I was wondering, I asked myself, because I'm a cynic, is this venue or these types of venues too big or these, for that kind of music, for those kinds of jams? You know, where they are very, they are listening very intensely to one another, but in the lowest end of a dynamic possible. Sure. When in two thousand, you know, compared to your first show there in ninety four, when I'm sure there were seats available for the taking, fish in two thousand at that time were as popular as they've ever been, or more so. Oh so yeah, I, definitely. I wonder if this kind of music was—I don't want to say not the best kind, because there is no best or worst. That's not what I mean. But right. if it—if it's too quiet for an audience like this, that's loud, probably on talkative drugs, <laughs>
1: right? Um you know, I I I agree, but in listening back to this, I, I didn't really notice any. Um, you know, a lot of times you can in audience recordings, especially you can pick out the people that are just obnoxiously yelling "woo" and yeah. um, and cheering and you know, like yelling out song names and all that nonsense. And I, you can really you can't really hear much of that during this quiet part of hood, um, which. I don't know. Makes you know. Maybe uh, I, I I get your point that it you know uh, at this point maybe these sheds are too big for stuff like this, but it seemed to go okay at least on that night and that version. Well, that's
0: good. You know, that maybe, maybe the the versions of this kinds of music that I heard is the exception and not the rule. Yeah, Admittedly, yeah. I haven't listened to a lot of stuff from 2000. So I'm not speaking as any sort of authority just based on my personal experience and the right, personal right. experience I'm basing on is the version of Drowned from September 14th, 2000 at Darien Lake, which was so quiet and delicate that I barely heard a thing of what was going on. So yeah. the, maybe that's not the best, uh, barometer to measure delicate ambient music versus loud chatty crowds. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: So after hood is over, they go into Jabu. And my first thought was, ah, yes, you know, it wouldn't be summer 2000 without God of right. Jabu. Right. It probably was the song of the summer.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, it was definitely up there and, and I was kind of obsessed with it right from the beginning. I just, I just loved it. I love the the groove of this song and you know, one of those shows you just kind of close your eyes to and and let let it uh, let it move you. And I love how I think Hood came to a complete stop, and then just seconds later, the the guitar for God of Jabu starts. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely was one of the most welcome songs that summer, and an an immediate injection of you know dance party energy into uh, into any any time it's played
0: yeah we were talking earlier about dance yeah. party energy. This is certainly one of those, sure, and once it's over, uh they calm down again with when the circus comes to town, which I think arguably is their best cover choice when it comes to ballads,
1: yeah, it's a gorgeous song, and it's you know it's got the lyrics that kind of match the experience, you know that makes it extra special. So Never I thought I, would, I
0: could make it this far,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. when the circus comes to town, I mean it's yeah. just it is. It feels like it's describing the fish experience and 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 describing, you know, someone's own personal experience of getting to that point, you know, wrapped up in a beautiful song.
0: Next up, which is kind of the beginning of the end of the set, is Mike's song. And I know that Bathtub Gin gets all the glory and the yeah. headlines of the show. I thought the jam and Mike's, that's my favorite of the show.
1: Yeah, I I uh, I had forgotten about how good this Mike song was until I did a re-listen, you know, uh, in prepping for t- for today. It is a great great mic song with the the rhythm and, and, and funk groove that they hit early on to that like sinister repeating jam later on. I mean, it is a f- it is a great version.
0: Yeah, it Trey again goes back to the rhythm. Yeah, there's yep. a part in Mike's song when he just plays the, the main riff over and over again, but he doesn't. There's a part where he just plays his rhythm guitar, He plays the chord equivalent instead. And I'm all about it because it leaves yep. room for Paige, who, again, is underrated in these or at least difficult to hear. That part at the end that you mentioned, that kind of escalating jam that repeats over and over again it reminded me of when a little kid goes on a Disney ride and it's a sound that, a, uh, that like a spaceship would make.
1: Like, yeah. that's yeah that's that's it i mean it's it, it's weird i, I you can't tell if it's a is it sinister sounding or is it a really cool uh like uh co- really cool effect that they're putting on it either way it's very different than anything you know and then especially you mix it in with a start stop jam um,
0: yeah that that got me i'm a sucker yeah, for that yeah. stuff like when they do stuff like this and it's not just 97 funk stop Right, back in a, a bar later. This stop, this pause is easily at least a minute.
1: It makes me want to go back and listen to a lot of summer 2000. Maybe that was happening more often than I remember.
0: You know what? Any excuse to yeah, add yeah. on to, to your base knowledge is worth it. I think I'm going to have to go back and listen to more summer 2000 as well. They yeah. get into after mics, which they talk about finishing a song. They do that same cool rhythm again and where they stopped on the stop start jam they stop again but this time to close the song so it's a rare mic song that has like a distinct ending as opposed to segueing into another song
1: yep yep
0: and the song that they play is albuquerque which i think is very much of its time they played that a lot in 2000 love it like this and when the circus comes to town if you're going to play cover songs as ballads give these to me every time
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's there's, few that are better than these two.
0: And they start to close the set with Weakapog Groove, which I thought was kind of an uncertain beginning. I always think that when Weakapog starts from silence, that it always starts a little awkward, but it always ends strong.
1: This one definitely was a little strange um, to get going. It's, It's almost as if they... Trade forgotten how Weka is supposed to start. It makes me think of, again, referencing the Baker's Dozen. It makes me think of what, you know, the Baker's Dozen, how they left off Mike's intro and then played it on the last night in the encore. That's right. That's right. It's funny when they kind of, you know, have these weird, awkward Weka Pogs. Uh, it doesn't happen all that often, but enough that, you know, you notice it.
0: That closes the second set. And to come on for the encore, I mean, this could have been yesterday. They play first tube and loving cop, like the ultimate pair of energy closers. I can't imagine leaving the show feeling anything other than pumped and super happy, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's it in a nutshell. It was uh, a great, great show with a whole bunch of friends. Uh, you know, high school friends that I was with, and uh, in our home venue, and hadn't seen them since Cyprus and. You know, every all of us are, you know, beginning a new stage of uh, in, in life and full time jobs. And it was, you know, walking out on top of the world. No, there's no doubt about it.
0: So Hal Hansen, director of marketing for the Somerset Patriots Yankees double A team coming on to really show your expertise of fish on June 28th, 2000 at the Garden State Arts Center in Holmdale. Before we close out of here. Anything that we missed, any missed opportunities, last notes, anything you want to mention that we didn't get to?
1: So I feel like I need to tell um, one story that is the perfect example of the intersection of my baseball and fish career. So before I I was with the Patriots, I was working for the Lakewood Blue Claws, uh, a single A Sally League team for the Phillies uh, down Jersey Shore around the time that joy came out, you know, when fish is making their comeback in 2009, the day, the very day that backwards down the number line was, I believe it was leaked out if I'm not mistaken, Hmm. uh, before the whole album came out. And that was one of the first songs that, uh, anyone heard from the album. I, I may have that wrong, but I remember hearing that recorded version before the album and, it happened on a Friday and we happened to have fireworks that night. And I was in charge of the music that we (laughs) would play at the ballpark for our fireworks shows. And, and I was so in love with that song from hearing Trey band play it leading up to, you know, the, the release of it that I, like it literally was leaked and hours later I dropped it into our like four songs for fireworks that night at the ballpark. And like, a minute into the song my boss radios on the radio you know calls me on the radio and says how how what is what is this what are we listening to and i said don't worry about it don't worry about it it's a great song just let it go let it go so i i feel pretty confident that i was the first person in america to have a large amount of people in, a, in an arena or sporting venue listen to backwards on a number line and um Yeah, that's that's an example of a perfect example of my my uh, career and and fish fandom intersecting.
0: On your tombstone, here lies Hal Hansen, the first man in America.
1: Yeah. (laughs) To play backwards,
0: head the number line in a stadium full of people.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's it.
0: So, Hal, before we sign off, remind us one more time about the Somerset Patriots, where the stadium is, how people can come to the game.
1: Yeah. So we are, uh, again, double a affiliate of the, uh, New York Yankees. We are in central New Jersey and Bridgewater. Uh, we're about, uh, just approaching the halfway point through our season. Very easy to get to our games, whether it's uh, 287 or uh, route 22, all different kinds of uh, roads that'll lead you there. Uh, New Jersey transit, you can t- take it from Penn station and it drops off right behind the ballpark and, uh, yeah, somersetpatriots.com has all of uh, all of our game info and promotions and, and all that fun stuff. Uh, come come visit.
0: All right, Hal, thanks again for being on attendance by us today. It was a pleasure.
1: Yeah, Brian, me too. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: And that's it for my conversation with Hal Hansen, the director of marketing for the AA baseball team, the Somerset Patriots. I know quite a bit about baseball, what I think is a bit about fish. But even so, with our conversation back and forth jumping all over the map, we did get a few things wrong and a few things that need to be followed up on, so it's time for today's Attendance Bias Fact Check.
1: Attendance Bias Fact Check.
0: First, a non fish related fact check. When Hal describes his responsibilities directing in game contests and silly stuff for the Somerset Patriots, I brought up a story that I once went to an Eastern Michigan Whitecaps game and loved their in game production. My memory for Fish is better than my memory for baseball, as the team is actually the Western Michigan Whitecaps. They play in the suburbs of Grand Rapids and serve as the single-A affiliate of the Detroit Tigers. During our conversation comparing Fish to baseball, I said that a set full of rarities was like witnessing a no-hitter, as I was nervous during the time between songs. The show that I used as an example was from the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium in San Francisco. It was played on July 23, 2016. The first set was full of rarities, and the set list read Demand, The Curtain With, Alumni Blues into Letter to Jimmy Page Back to Alumni, Fuck Your Face, Cry Baby Cry, Sing Monica, Into McGrupp, The Very Long Fuse, Big Black Furry Creatures, Walk Away, Sanity, and Closed with David Bowie. When discussing Hal's first show, July 2nd, 1994, at Holmdale, I was wondering if Fish headlined the show or was part of the Horde tour. I thought I knew, but 1994 sounded a little bit early for Fish to play such a large outdoor venue on their own. I was wrong. They did headline the show with no supporting acts, and Hal was right. The band played Highway to Hell to close the second set, and then they played Rift for the encore. Toward the end of today's discussion, when Mike's song segued into Albuquerque, I said that Albuquerque is very much of its time and was popular in 2000. I had to go back and check just to make sure I wasn't imagining things, and Albuquerque has been played just 16 times to date, but just three of those performances were in 2000. The high point was in 1998 when it was played nine times, the most of any year it's been played. And that's it for today's episode of Attendance Bias. I'd like to thank Hal Hansen for joining me today, Fish.net for everything they do and providing all the information for the fact check, and Fish.in, Fishin, for the recording used in today's episode. If you enjoy Attendance Bias, please support the show by leaving a rating and a review of the podcast on your favorite app. Or just tell one person about the podcast. Call, text, tell them, spread the word. If you enjoy Attendance Bias, please find me on social media. Reach out, say hi, and I'll send you a free sticker. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next week on Attendance Bias.